Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football is back, and so is winning season at MyBookie. Use promo code GATERS at MyBookie.ag to claim your deposit bonus for a limited time to get a free chip to use in the MyBookie casino. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Gators Breakdown is a proud to partner with AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash gators to try. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me at well, at Gator Dave underscore SEC, I, I still get hung up, Will. I mean, do I, t- no, I call it Twitter? Do I call it? I mean, it's been a month now, and I'm still kind of, you know, it's not called Twitter anymore. Everybody still calls it Twitter. It's X. Uh, it, I got to get into the, you know, that's kind of, the, the intro is kind of a habit, you know? So I just got to say social media, I guess, but uh, it's, it's going to trip me up for a little while still, I think. I was going to say, just get a Gators break or a Gator Dave SEC Instagram, and then you can say social media and it's all the same thing. So, yeah, you just, just, just got to gotta be more, uh, got to gotta be more social media savvy and then it won't matter. Uh, yeah, I'm usually pretty good at that, but I think, you know, I've had that same intro. I probably should change it up. Anyway. I've had that same intro probably since, you know, very, very close to starting the podcast. So it's just been habit for, you know, uh, what, six years now? What, uh, Wow, seven! I've lost count. Seven years. Wow. Okay, there's my seventh football season coming up covering these Gators. But time anyway. flies with Dan Mullen and Jim McAway to your head. Coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have had some fun. We have had some fun. Anyway, that's Will Miles. Everybody, you can hear him at Will Miles SEC on social media uh, and readreaction.com. Hey, we got a different kind of episode for you. You know, the last scrimmage uh, for fall camp was last Friday. I wrapped that up for you guys in the previous episode. So Will and I, we've been teasing it for a couple of weeks. He's been doing some opponent stuff at Read and Reaction. He and I have been talking back and forth trying to get this uh, going out there. So it's not going to be very in-depth for each opponent. We're going to go to the 10 main opponents for Florida this episode. So we won't go too, too deep just so we can, you know, not drag this on for three hours like we, you know, we probably could do. I remember the one summer wheel a couple years ago where we did team by team episodes and i think we had to re-record georgia because some technical malfunction on my time so not only did we have to talk about georgia once we had to talk about it twice and you know that didn't uh, that wasn't any good but uh i think i think we can try to get it into a timely episode here 
Yeah, man, you, you told me I had to limit to a paragraph. So when <laughs> when when I stop after like, you know, 30 seconds, everybody, that's that's a that's a controlled burn on my side to make sure that I don't just keep talking because otherwise I'd I'd go and go and go. Yeah, we're trying to give you guys, you know, a basic look at these teams heading into the season. Football season starts really this week, uh, week zero. Uh, no, no Florida opponents, of course, uh, except for Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt does play this weekend. So if you want your first look at an SEC team, uh, we'll give you a look for Vanderbilt tonight uh, quickly. But then you'll get to see him play Hawaii this weekend. So you do get to check out one Florida opponent. Then, of course, at the Thursday night next week, the Gators get started with utah so quick previews right here uh, of the gators 10 main opponents we're not gonna talk mcneese we're not gonna talk charlotte ain't no sense of wasting anybody's time on those uh but we got you covered for the big out of conference the games and the sec opponents for the gators unless will you want to talk some uh, mcneese and charlotte i was gonna say man i was prepared for mcneese and charlotte i'm very disappointed to hear that we're not going to spend 45 minutes on each of them <laughs> um no nah, i think we're good let's let's stick to utah and florida state and uh you know vanderbilt's almost an sec team i guess we should talk about them too yeah. Uh, they beat us last year, so I think we have to. I mean, it's uh, we're we're stuck this time. We, they, they beat us last year, so uh, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I didn't want to bring that up. Uh, of course, it happened. We're not gonna we're not gonna shy away from it, but uh, that's what we discuss. Uh, what we have to do here. So, uh, all right, everybody. Uh, well, also, you know, thanks so much for the launch of GatorsBreakdown.com. Two new articles up there, uh, and, and today, yesterday going into Billy Napier, talking about heated competition for playing time for these Gators, and he does address the injury concerns ahead of this coming season. So GatorsBreakdown.com, you can go read those uh, there right now. Gators Breakdown Plus, of course, you get your ad-free episodes of Gators Breakdown right there and access to that Discord server. That's the big plugs right there. And then, of course, Florida Victoria has got some big events coming up the week of the Tennessee game, week of the Arkansas game. You guys can take part in those by joining Florida Victorious. Head to the website, get 20% off your first month by using promo code GatorsBD. Link is in the description. So, all right, Will, let's get started. Now, how I'm going to map these out, this will be our kind of guide here. I'm going to give, everybody knows this part, favorite part of the preview magazines for me are the opposing poaches, that opposing coaches views uh, that we get out there. So that'll be our roadmap. And then we'll kind of give some quick thoughts after we hear from those, but let's start with Utah and let's go to the Athlon magazine. Certainly the toughest team in the conference, maybe the toughest in the nation physically. They want to dominate you every game. They challenge you. They believe they can whip anybody they play. They have great tight ends, great defensive guys that, you can kind of lose track of just really solid role players who develop really nicely. They recruit their state extremely well. Sometimes they're able to get mature guys coming off mission work to help locker room tone. Here we go, Will. This is a big one for Florida. This is also the toughest place to play in the league. I think it's a lot more difficult than Oregon. So the Gators are going to have to go to what this coach claims is the toughest place to play in the Pac-12 uh, look, they have not lost there since the COVID year uh, of 2020. If you want to really want to count that, you got to go back to, I think it was 2018 or 2019 since Utah's lost a home game. So Gators got the work cut out for them there. Uh, to keep it going here, if Cam Rising isn't hurting that, in that game, the Rose Bowl, they could have hung with Penn State. If this team had different helmets, I think they'd get a lot more consideration for the playoff and a lot more respect nationally. That was from an opposing coach in Athlon. Let's move to the Lindy's. Preview, their quarterback, Cam Rising, is just a gamer, you know. There's nothing unique about him. Not his arm, not his speed. He's just a good football player that people rally around. The team responds to him. Have a lot of respect for them defensively. Always have. I think they do a good job evaluating talent 
and uh, and they really do a good job of recruiting linemen. I think Ron McBride, uh, the Utah coach from 90 to 2002, which is right before Urban Meyer, uh, started that there, established ties to the islands and made the Polynesian pipeline. Just a physical, tough, hard-nosed kids, man. Blue-collar stuff. I'm a little jealous. They just have that identity, toughness, run the ball, play-action pass, and they have done a nice job of bringing in running backs who fit. That jumps out. So both magazines there will opposing coaches' views and really to summarize what they both had to say, a tough physical team. We saw it in the first game of last season for the Gators. Utah brought that tough physical style of play, really showed off in the second half of the, in that game versus Florida last year. And Gators, next week, go on to play in that very, very tough road environment at Utah. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things here. I mean, the defensive reputation for Utah is deserved over time, but that, that wasn't the case in 2022. They were 90th in yards per play last year. Um, they were 29th, though, in points per game allowed. Usually those two stats are in line with each other, and usually it's closer to the yards per play than it is to the points per game. So I expect them to have quite a bit of recession this year, though Utah's usually been right around 30th over the last few years. But but last year, 90th in yards per play. That's right down where, where the Florida defense was. Um, you know, what have they really added on the defense that's going to improve them a ton this year? I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. And then the quarterback position, I mean, both both Athlon and Lindy's mentioned Cameron Rising, but nobody really knows whether he's actually going to be out there. And if he is out there, whether he's going to be bringing the stuff to the table that he was able to bring last year. He terrorized Florida on the ground last year, which is one of the things that really kept that game close, kept Utah's drives alive. Otherwise, some of the defenders on Florida's defense who, let, let's face it, none of us are really writing home about, were able to stay with the Utah athletes, both outside and in some respects the tight end as well. Though uh, though Keithy and... and uh, um, I can't remember the other, Keithy and the other guy. Kincaid. Uh, Kincaid. Kincaid. Yeah. Um, you know, we're able to get open from time to time, but it's not like they just terrorize Florida. So those are sort of the two things that I look at. I go, you know, and Brandon Rose, the backup quarterback, or the guy who was going to start if Cam Rising couldn't start, he's injured as well. So now you're down to Bryson Barnes, who's somebody who just sort of did not do real well in the Rose Bowl last year and, and is coming out there. So there, there are some reasons to believe that Florida is going to be okay here. And I think both the defense being worse than it was originally, and then, you know, we really don't know what we're going to get at the quarterback position sort of indicates that that yeah they're tough okay that's great but what happens when a couple of guys get hurt and you've got a tough team well all of a sudden talent starts to take over all right and so keep it going key number lindy's throughout their will 104 the national rank of utah's red zone defense last season going to your defense right there 104th in the nation in red zone defense the youth will be looking for substantial improvement after they allow 30 touchdowns on opponents, 43 trips. We'll go into your defense, you keep, keep kind of expanding that. They're banking on just a lot of experience. You know, they, they bring a ton of that defense back uh, and you're really stout up front. So that's kind of, I think, what they're banking on is you're bringing a lot of those guys back and, and hopefully those guys jumping up in production. Three big questions Who replaces Dalton Kincaid as Utah's leading pass catcher? Uh, of course, Brent Keithy, his name comes to mind. Uh, not great at receiver, so we'll see what happens there. When will Cam Rising be fully healthy? That, of course, is the big question we've all been talking about uh, the last month or so with, with fall camp starting and him still being limited. And then uh, who was Utah's next defensive star? Utah still hangs its hat on defensive side of the ball, and Devin Lloyd and Clark Phillips continue a legacy of great Utah defenders in recent years. Cole Bishop, Junior Tafuna, Lander Barton, Connor O'Toole are candidates to become MVP caliber, caliber players to disrupt a slew of potent offenses Utah will face 
So there we go. There's your Utah look. Anything else quickly, Will, to add there after hearing nope. that stuff? All right. Nope. Previews up next week, man. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Exactly. We got a lot more. Yeah, both of us got a lot more Utah talk next week. So absolutely. Uh, well, yeah, there we go. Kind of wet the palate there uh, of some uh, uh, of some Utah talk. So all right, let's keep it going. And Florida's first conference game, we will skip McNeese, of course, and we will come back to the swamp as Tennessee comes to town. And we'll go to the Athlon side. And they were legit good last year. That wasn't a fluke or a gimmick. That offense is no more or less a gimmick system than anyone else's. And that's a popular thought out there, Will, is that, oh, it's a gimmick offense and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's what Tennessee's offense is. And, well, uh, gimmick offenses can produce – Consistent quarterbacks, and we'll see uh, about that. But to keep it going, I think a lot of coaches are just sore about how they got scored on so much. Joe Milton is not going to be Hendon Hooker, so the ceiling won't be as high. They need to develop more depth at wide receiver to stay creative. This system is like a new age option offense where it's just hard as hell to practice in a single week, and you get burned easily because you're tired. You can't replicate the tempo and pace unless you do it a little bit all season. The defense still has leftover talent from former coach Jeremy Pruitt. They're just asked to play complimentary ball and create a few stops. When they're up on you, Neyland is a nightmare to play in. The stadium is back the way it used to be. Uh, well, before I move to Lindy's, there's a couple things I want to go in there. So Joe Milton's not going to be Hendon Hooker. I think we all kind of agree with that. I still think he can be good, but yeah, Hendon, not, not Hendon Hooker good. Um, depth at wide receiver, of course, that did lose some playmakers last year. Uh, but to keep it going here, the system is like a new age option offense where it's just hard as hell to practice in a single week. Is that a benefit? Of, it, it, Florida plays them early in the season. I mean, of course, you played them last year. It's a familiarity. Austin Armstrong wasn't the defensive coordinator, of course. But, uh, you, you, you know, you got plenty of other people on the staff played this Tennessee offense last year. You do play them in the third game of the season. Yeah, you know, I think you could maybe prep, you know, put that prep in since it's toward the beginning of the season. You know, I think that benefits Florida just a little bit. Don't get me wrong. Your full focus should be on Utah at game one. Uh, but Tennessee being early in the season might be a little bit of benefit for this Gator defense. I mean, maybe. I, I think at, at the end of the day, it's probably more of a benefit for Florida because Milton hasn't had an opportunity to get comfortable mm -hmm. yet. You yeah. know, the, obviously they're they're playing, uh, you know, what do they play? They play Pitt early this early in the season? No, not this year. They play Virginia. That's I right. They play they? Virginia. So they, they, yeah. do play a, they do play a Power 5 team. And so they'll have an opportunity to get their feet wet. But, you know, it's different when you head to the swamp. And so yeah, this will be Milton's. Virginia, Virginia and Austin P before Florida. Yeah, so this will be Milton's big first big road test, right? And mm -hmm. look, quarterbacks are different on the road in the SEC. We know they are, especially in the first road start. So I think that's where the advantage comes from, probably less the actual scheme and more just that you get them early before Milton becomes a master of the scheme because at some point he's going to know that scheme really, really well. He's going to be really, really comfortable in it. If he's already at that place, then it's going to be hard to slow him down. Um but, you know, look, it is a little bit gimmicky. It is a little bit um, – gimmick's the wrong word, but it is a little bit abnormal from what you see most of the time. But your defensive keys are your defensive keys. I don't know that you're going to change a whole lot. It's going to be – and especially the way Austin Armstrong plays, he's just going to be lining up guys cover zero and man-to-man -man on the outside anyway. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot that changes. It's just going to be uh, um, get out there, get aggressive, and you're going to give up some big plays, and Armstrong's used to that. Uh, keep it going on Lindy's side. Tennessee had the second-best team in the SEC last year since they beat Alabama, and they had better players in LSU. Tennessee probably had the second-best team in the country if Hendon Hooker doesn't get hurt. Oh, wait. Oh, hold on. I got to pause there. 
they were not the second best team in the country. I don't. Hendon Hooker played in the game that lost to South Carolina. You cannot sit here and tell me they were the second best team in the country. Yes, he got hurt in that game, but they were already getting spanked by that time anyway. They were not the second best team losing to South Carolina. I'll go. Okay. They're, well, I'll keep, keep, keep reading. I got thoughts on this, but keep reading. <laughs> okay. Hooker exceeded everybody's expectations. That was the diamond in the rough that Jeremy Pruitt got in January of 2021. Joe Milton's not the guy. They got to find somebody else. With Milton, it'll be hard to replicate offensively what they did last year. The defensive front seven was good last year. What I question most is the secondary. I don't think Tennessee has done a great job in signing portal guys to help the secondary. If they had, they could make them, that could have made them an elite team last year. So uh, some positive and negative there. You know, More positive dating back to last year for Tennessee, but not a big fan of Hendon Hooker here in the Lindy's uh, opposing preview. Now, not a big fan of Joe Milton, uh, but uh, yeah, 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 Milton, my bad. So, uh, likewise, um, <laughs> so I wrote an article about Tennessee about a week ago, and the thing that really shocked me is they only have four players from their 2021 recruiting class that are still on their roster. And usually, three years out from a recruiting class is when it really starts to pay off. So, Alabama's 2020 class last year had Bryce Young and Will Anderson as the top two recruits in that class. Georgia's had Kaylee Ringo, Jalen Carter, Darnell Washington, Ladd McConkey, and Cedric Van Pran. So, Hypel's depending on the transfer portal to paper over holes. And you know, you've got these coaches saying they don't think they've done a great job signing portal guys, especially in the secondary. Well, what that really means is Milton doesn't have to be as good as Hooker, he has to be better. Otherwise, Tennessee's going to take a step back. And I think there are a lot of games you can look at. Like, you're really sort of hanging your hat on that Alabama win, which was a one-score win, and and a couple of home games that, look, they were great moments for Tennessee. And and as an SEC fan, it's good to see them back. As a Florida fan, it sort of stinks. But, you know, look, the, I, I think the, the narrative that Tennessee was, like, just a hair away from losing is blown apart by the fact that they lost by 60 to South Carolina. And so, you know, we do need to take that into account. It's not just your entire body of work minus the worst one. This isn't that class where you get to drop your worst grade. Your worst grade counts, and that was a really bad F. And that says a lot about the team. And then I think there's a lot of change that's not for the better this year. Their depth is going to be awful. And, you know, that's not necessarily Heupel's fault because he came in right there after Pruitt, like a week before National Signing Day. But, but you know, at the same time, four players from the 2020 recruiting class are still on the roster, only two on the defensive side of the ball. They are missing a recruiting class and they're missing one that's important. There's like no juniors on the team whatsoever. And, you know, Phil Steele always has always has uh, you know experience and talent and sort of puts those together to predict where people are going to be. From an experience standpoint, there's a very senior-heavy team and then all underclassmen. And so any sort of injuries, and you're going to lose a lot of experience, and I, I think I think you need to watch out for that if you're Tennessee. Uh, the potential problems for Tennessee, the defense ranked 126 in the nation in passing yards allowed per game last year, 289.5, and the Vols don't appear to have any all-SEC caliber defensive backs Need to identify more pass rushers after losing leading sacker a year ago, Byron Young. All right, let's keep it going right here. Let's go to the Kentucky Wildcats Athlon on this side that says, the change back at offensive coordinator to Liam Cohen is going to be a huge swing for them. Even when Will Levis leaving for the NFL, they're going, they're going to go back to a different SEC area era, what you expect an Iowa guy like Mark Stoops to want to do. Fine wrinkles and formations and new age stuff to run the ball and control the clock and help the defense. If quarterback transfer Devin Leary hits, they're going to be as good as they have been in recent years. No one talks about how good they are in the portal, 
This is not a portal roster. They want they want you in the system long term, but they sneak out and plug position needs really well. Like the kid from Virginia Tech, Tavia, uh, Virginia Tech, Tavion Robinson at wide receiver. In the year before, it was the guy from Nebraska, Wondell Robinson. That was two years ago. Uh, they're going to fight Tennessee and South Carolina for number two slot in the East again. Uh, right there, Kentucky and Athlon's view there. Lindy's goes on to say Mark Stoops does a good job every year. That stat that he won 10 games twice in four years and the program had only two other 10-win seasons says what an exceptional job he has done at a school that is hard to win at. Kentucky has no in-state high school football to speak of. Stoops fields good teams, keeps kids out of trouble, does things the right way. They'll be what they've been on defense. On offense, Stoops has managed it pretty well, but that quarterback, Will Levis, is hard to replace. Devin Leary is a gamer, and yes, he'll be a good quarterback in the SEC. They've been a little too conservative. Liam Cohen brings a lot to the table. He did a great job with Will Levis in 2021. Will, where I'm going with this, okay, yeah, good thing they bought Liam Cohen back. I do think he is an upgrade. They did bring in some transfers at receiver. Of course, we know the move at quarterback. How much of that offense with Liam Cohen was Wondell Robinson? I mean, he made his... Year that year at Kentucky turned it into a high NFL draft pick. That's the uh, they got talent at receiver. I'll, I'll give them that. They hit the portal. They certainly upgraded their their talent at receiver. Is it enough? You know, is Devin Leary the guy? I mean, hearing good things at a fall camp by Kentucky, they, they're pretty confident. They, they they've got the right pieces in place. You know, are they? You know, I don't know if it's quarterback. I think it's Liam Cole. You know, if they take a jump up in offense. Like, don't get me wrong, Devin Leary, I think he's a good quarterback. He was good at NC State. Is he better than Will Levis? I'm not sure, but it may be more that Liam Cohen comes back of why the offense takes a jump. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, these guys scare me, if only because I, I thought Levis was average in 2021 and then he was bad in 2022, and they still went 17-9. and nine. So yeah. if Leary plays really well, they could be looking at another 10-win season, and a 10-win mm-hmm. season in the East is going to be in that second spot, sort of like one of those coaches was talking about. But but here's the thing. The offensive line for Kentucky was just horrific last <laughs> yeah. year, and they're bringing back a bunch of guys. So they're, they're counting on continuity, but that better be worth a lot because Levis didn't have a lot of help, even though he wasn't good last year. And that was one of the things that you could point out heading into that Florida game last year between Kentucky. You were like, oh, my God, he's got no time. Like, they can't. They can't get a running game going at all and there's guys breaking through free and he can't run around and get away and look Devin Larry's pretty good player but he's not somebody who's going to get out of the grasp of a defense that's able to break through the offensive line if Kentucky can't run the ball it's not going to matter who they have at, at offensive coordinator and it's not going to matter who they have at quarterback they're going to have to be able to run the ball and the offensive line was really bad last year so I think that's one of the things that you got to look at if you're Kentucky or if you're a Kentucky fan you got and, and really if you're a Florida fan looking at early in the season are they able to run the ball against somebody who's not just a cupcake and if they're struggling if they're averaging you know two and a half three yards a rush then I think you get really confident you're going to be able to take Kentucky out if they're averaging four and a half five five and a half yards a rush then you start to get a little bit worried because what that means is Cohen has been able to bring some stability to the offensive line. And honestly, that's going to be how he improves this team. He's going to improve this team by having quality play on the offensive line. Speaking of that, Will, after ranking 126 nationally in sacks allowed last season, Kentucky added offensive line transfers Marquez Cox from Northern Illinois, Cortland Ford from USC, Tanner Bowles from Alabama, Ben Crispin from Ohio State. With Cox at left tackle, super senior Kenneth Horsey can move back to his natural left guard position. Sophomore Jaeger Burton 
moved to center this spring with senior Eli Cox shifting back to right guard where he was a mid-season All-American in 2021. The move of Burton to center was met with particularly strong reviews. So brought in some transfers, moving some guys around on the offensive line is Kentucky. But yeah, uh, if they don't get that figured out, doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Doesn't matter if they've upgraded a receiver. Um, they allowed, so it was 126 nationally in sacks. And Will, that was 47 sacks that Kentucky gave up last year. So certainly, hey, we, we know Florida's offensive line issues in years past and, and how that held the offense back. Uh, so when you thought there was talent on the field, uh, but it didn't so much matter with an offensive line there, uh, not 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 playing up to a, a, its ability. But you know they've 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 had a good track record. I expect them to bounce back somewhat. Will it be? I don't even want to say vintage Kentucky, vintage Mark Stoops Kentucky. Ah, there we go. Ha ha! I snuck that in there. You know if they can replicate what we've seen or close to what we've seen in Mark Stoops offensive line, then okay, they'll they'll, they'll be they'll, they'll be okay. Uh, all right, let's move on to Vanderbilt. Uh, as we, you know, Will and I said earlier in the episode, uh, a team that upset Florida last year, Athlon, and their opposing views, uh, opposing coaches' views, said they're getting better, but you have to be realistic. Are they as good as a team as a roster that beats Florida and Kentucky? No, but they hung on long enough to win those games, and they're so much better than that first season team. They took a huge jump from year one to year two under Clark Lee but they're going to taper off because of the league. They build their roster and hire coaches and do everything else in the long term with the long term in mind. The biggest compliment you can pay them is that they understand who they are and that there's no shortcuts. They're finally getting some good facilities and acting like they give a damn about SEC football. The defense is just Lee's fingerprint. The offensive identity is all over the map. They want to fight you. That's the sign of a good culture when you come in to play a two or three win team and they scrap for four quarters and play hard. On the Lindy side, I thought that guy Clark Lee did a good job. Vanderbilt is the hardest job in the SEC. The only thing Vanderbilt has going for it is, is in Nashville, <laughs> which is the best town in the SEC. And Vanderbilt has the best education in the SEC. Lee did a good job of getting them to five and seven last year. He's a defensive coach. They're limited with explosive players on both sides of the ball. They play together. They're not flashy. They're starting to show some improvement. They're representing the school in the right way, getting one to two upsets a year. If you beat Kentucky or Tennessee every three or four years, they should name Radio City Music Hall after Lee. There, uh, there have been years when Vandy was not very competitive. That's not the case anymore. Lee is a good coach, and he's recruited better players, and he knows the place. Well, going back to last year, they had the win versus Kentucky. They had the win versus Anthony Richardson. And I just put this together in my head. You know, those were two of the more lovable NFL draft, draft prospects in the country in the SEC. And that season's end, Vanderbilt has a win over both of them. <laughs> yeah, not exactly a banner season for, the, <laughs> for those teams when you factor in who they were losing to. But um, so I love Lee. Uh, and what he and Barton Simmons there, formerly from 24-7, are building at Vanderbilt. Um, I love that they have a general manager and that the general manager is tuned in recruiting. They've definitely brought in better players. But the thing I look at is Mike Wright was the quarterback last year who really was the difference maker. He transferred to Mississippi State this offseason, and he was the only decent quarterback on the roster. A.J. Swan had a QB rating of 127. It's pretty close to right, but he provided nothing in the running game, so 21 rushes from negative 76 yards. Ken Seals, who's the backup, was even worse in 2021. So without 
competent quarterback play, the Commodores are going to look like the Commodores. And and this year, Florida gets them in the swamp. There's an opportunity to, um, you know, there, there's an opportunity to sort of get that revenge. And I know Wright made a was a major factor in the game against uh, against Florida, but I'm pretty sure he was one of the guys who's chucking the ball all over the place in the Kentucky game too. So you talk about the upsets that Vanderbilt had last year, and the upsets were tied to a guy that they've allowed to transfer out. So Kentucky was 12-23 for 184 yards and ran for 126 yards in that game. Then against Florida, he was 10-16 for 108 and three touchdowns and then eight rushes for 16 yards, So or for 13 yards. So Mike Wright was a big part of those wins against Kentucky and against Florida, and he's gone someplace else. So this isn't the same team. This would be like, you know, you got a guy like uh, – I'm trying to think of a good example, but you know, Will Rogers at Mississippi State, and all of a sudden he leaves. And you go, well, it's no problem. It's a Mississippi State offense. It'll be a Mississippi mm-hmm. State team. You know that sort of stuff. They've built up the talent around where Rogers was. Now we're bringing this other guy. And I'm not a huge Will Rogers fan, but still, um, the guy is a solid quarterback who can win you a game or two from time to time. And that's sort of what Mike Wright was. And I don't think that Swan or Seals are in that class. And that's where I sort of look at it and say. I think that's like a step back at the quarterback position. You can't afford to do that at Vanderbilt. Uh, expanding that, Will, quarterback A.J. Swan, this is from Lindy's, quarterback A.J. Swan is consider- considerably more talented than the average Vanderbilt quarterback. Blessed with a rocket arm and a confident demeanor, Swan's performance at Northern Illinois in his first career start, uh, 255, four touchdowns, no picks, and a come-from-behind win was impressive. He missed time due to head injuries in a year ago, but Vanderbilt has Ken Seals, who didn't play a snap last year in reserve. Uh, I think we all remember uh, Ken Seals' play. And Seals had a good spring and threw for 300 yards uh, three times as a true freshman in 2020. Hold on. We've seen a lot of guys put up stats against Northern Illinois. Like, come on. That's like the other last year when Anthony Richard put up like 400 yards against Eastern Washington and everybody (laughs) got excited. Like, no thanks. Like, I'm not uh, not jumping up and down for that sort of stuff. And when you look at Swan, his high school stats, not – Nothing that I'm sitting here going, oh, yeah, I'm really excited about this guy. So in my 62% completion percentage his senior year, 61% overall over his four years in high school. So a nice player and certainly a player that Vanderbilt would be happy to have on there. But I think in many ways he's a guy with a rocket arm that, you know, you're going to see some some accuracy issues. And that's what we saw last year. Now, look, it's his first year. He's a true freshman. Maybe he grows from his true freshman year to his sophomore season. But they had a guy there in Wright who was doing things that that Swan was not. And I'm just surprised that they allowed him to get away. I figured that'd be a guy that they'd keep there. And, you know, without him, I think they're going to struggle, especially early on. All right. Primary strengths, potential problems, and we'll move on from Vanderbilt. Primary strengths, finally, there's continuity. Both coordinators return after a span in which Vandy had a new coordinator on defense for four straight seasons and on offense for five. Wow. Okay, there we go. That's a neat little nugget there about Vanderbilt. Swan could be a star, and Shepard already is. That's wide receiver Will Shepard, by the way. Um, And Taylor is one of the SEC's up-and-coming defensive stars. Potential problems. The defense needs to be vastly improved. The Commodores had fits and courage last year. Didn't show any resounding improvement during spring workouts. Overall, team speed is better. But the league's faster teams destroyed the Commodores in that regard last season. Hey, Florida's a faster team this year than they were last year, so maybe that bodes well <laughs> for, for, for getting back on the winning side versus Vanderbilt. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, all right, let's go to the South Carolina game, Cox, and on the Athlon side of things. Shane Beamer is a rising star in the industry. It's not like the Steve Spurrier years when they made Clemson afraid, but they're making more noise than any Carolina coaching staff has since. The Tigers started winning night nat- natties. Well, there's only been one. That was Will Muschamp before, so of course. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Spencer Rattler is wildly inconsistent. Can they lock him in and keep him productive? Um, that OC, Dale uh, Logan's, uh, I think that's uh, how you pronounce it. I, he came from uh, Arkansas. Uh, has a wide resume, some NFL stuff, some browse air raid stuff. They lost a lot on defense. It's hard to plug them in as that for sure number two team in the East when they're dropping portal guys on defense to power programs. What they did last year could be the launch point to change the perception, but they have to manage the swing. That's the secret. Uh, that's the secret when you're a non-traditional power. Shane can make them run through a wall for him, but the trick now is to win all the games you're supposed to and not have that typical South Carolina loss. Uh, On the Lindy side of things, Spencer Rattler can make all the throws. His problem has always been turning the ball over. He'll make so many good throws and create explosive plays, and then he'll throw some bad ones. Defenses have to make him pay when he does that. Nobody made him pay the last two games against Tennessee and Clemson. I think losing Freddie Kitchens to the staff is a big blow. Uh, I know for one thing, South Carolina fans do not think that at all. They, they were kind of glad to see Freddie Kitchens uh, on, on the way out. The former NFL head coach, but it's 2022 uh, with the Gamecocks as an offensive analyst that left for a job uh, as a run game coordinator at North Carolina. Now look at what South Carolina did the last three games, four games, and you see a lot of flavor of Freddie Kitchens and what he brought from the NFL. Uh, but Shane Beamer has done a heck of a job. Can't say anything but good things. Players like him. South Carolina's a hard job, and for him to do what he did, you got to take your hat off to the guy. Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to Rattler. And and really the thing for me is, is that I think there's a narrative that Rattler turned the corner against Tennessee, and, and that doesn't really ring true to me. So in four of his last seven games, he had a quarterback rating of 118 or worse. That includes 104 versus Texas A&M, 108 versus Missouri, and 116 versus Florida. So not exactly the SEC elite defenses last season. Um, he played okay versus Clemson, had a QB rating of 148. He was great against Vandy and Tennessee. Uh, but this isn't Joe Burrow at the end of 2000. 18 sort of pretending what was to come in in 2019 where Mm. burrow all of a sudden in his last four games played great and then carried that over into 2019 that's not what you see when you look back at what rattler did in his last four or five games of the season last year he was still inconsistent and so i think he's going to stay inconsistent which means that if you're an opponent you get good rattler you're screwed but if you get bad bad rattler we'll all be excited about getting a big win and and that sort of you know quote unquote South Carolina loss is coming at some point along the way because Spencer Rattler's the quarterback. Like he's a very gifted player, but he's incredibly inconsistent. And I, again, I think there's been this narrative that, oh, he turned a corner. Look at what he did. Now, I mean, he did turn a corner in that Tennessee game. He was completely unstoppable. But on either side of that Tennessee game, he was not unstoppable. And I think that's something that we need to that we need to keep in mind, um, given given sort of what 
what South Carolina is and what they're not, right? I mean, from a talent perspective, South Carolina is middle of the pack SEC, which means they're going to need elite quarterback play in order to be successful. And the good news for them is they can get elite quarterback play sometimes from Rattler, but I think the bad news is sometimes he's going to throw a stinker and you just got to sort of hope if you're Florida that your defense can either force him into that or that he gives you one and, and you're able to get a win because, uh, you know, obviously this one this year is on the road for Florida. Uh, I'm going to go to potential problems, Will, because I think it speaks well for Florida, and we saw it in this game last year versus South Carolina. Potential problems. Several positions are inexperienced or lack depth, which are problems that tend to be exposed in the SEC. The defensive front is a big question mark, especially on the edge, but so is linebacker. Hey, Florida's a running team. A weak front seven is what they're saying here for South Carolina. Could we see a repeat of last year going to that, Will? The key number is five for South Carolina. That is consecutive seasons in which South Carolina has finished 11th or worse in the SEC in rush defense. Teams don't win big without stopping the run, and it's going to be a challenge this season with a largely new front seven. So remember that big Trevor Etienne run last year? Maybe maybe, maybe, maybe some more. Maybe some more when Florida uh, goes to Columbia to take on South Carolina. So, all right, we got – there's the first five teams of these ten of the major opponents for Florida. We got five more. But before we do, football is back, and so is winning season at my bookie. NFL, college football, and a brand-new cash-out system give you options to bet and win all season long. First two legs of your parlay hit, well, then cash out early and use the funds on another bet or let it ride for the chance at a bigger payday. Use early cash-outs as a tool to stay in control of the action at my bookie. To get started, go to mybookie.ag, go there now, and register for a free account. And when you're ready to make your first deposit, just use promo code GATORS to grab a welcome bonus. That welcome bonus is on the house. That's promo code GATORS to claim your deposit bonus, and for a limited time, get a free chip to use in the MyBookie Casino. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Gators Breakdown is proud to partner with AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. With 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, AG1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category. It replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple, drinkable, manageable daily habit. I now start my day with drinking AG1, and after pairing it with exercise and diet, I'm ready to tackle these busy days of football season. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com gators. That's drinkag1.com gators. Go there and check it out. Oh, well, we have to do it. These Georgia Bulldogs. That's the next team up, of course, the two-time defending national champions, the number one team in the land to start this season, looking for a three-peat. And let's go to opposing thoughts on them. And, of course, it's mostly glowing. But that's what happens when you win back-to-back national champions. So (laughs) they're the default pick for the college football playoff to start with. The national title game and the conference. Absent quarterback that have the most complete roster in the league and probably the entire country. So if you settle on a quarterback, let's say it's Carson Beck, which it is. Georgia officially announced it last week. Mike Bobo is going to do exactly the same thing as Todd Munkin. Tell the kid he has to be just efficient enough to move the ball around and stay out of negative plays. He'll have the two best receivers in the SEC that just transferred in, plus Brock Bowers, like five starting running backs in an offensive line that's massive. 
and NFL good. Defensively, they're a beast. Uh, speaking of running backs there, they are going through some injury problems there this fall camp. So it's worth to keep an eye on, but that schedule is easy enough to where uh, I think they can kind of manage their way through it until everybody gets healthy. Uh, keep it going. It doesn't matter what they lose. They're Kirby Smart's Alabama's defense, or Nick Saban's, I guess, where they just reload with NFL-caliber guys. They're just simply the best and most effective defense in the nation. They're losing Kaylee Ringo and Christopher Smith in the back. They're still going to be the best secondary in the SEC. Going on to Lindy's. Now, this is, okay, a little, a little critique, I guess, or a little more negative on Georgia. I think Georgia will miss Stetson Bennett. His leadership. The guy was so confident, and the kids believed in him. He's one of the greatest stories in college football, going from walk-on to junior college, back to Georgia, and being told you're not worth a dang. Anytime you got a quarterback, he gets in trouble. Players will say, you don't do it like Stetson. But the defense is so good, they can overcome a lot of stuff. The defense would be as good or better than it was last year. Georgia's talent is unbelievable. It's phenomenal. It's off the charts. They've got some dudes. We got the best tight end, Brock Bowers, in the country. And in my opinion, the best tight end that played college football in the last 30 years. Well, that won't make some Gator fans happy with Kyle Pitts just on the uh, sideline and, and playing for the Gators uh, just a couple of years ago. But, uh, hey, look, kind of different guys when, when you look at that. But, hey, no, no shade at Brock Bowers. The kid's really, really good. Uh I mean, Will, yeah, like we said, you'll talk to opposing coaches. You, I mean, look, you talk to anybody in college football right now. I mean, that's just what you're going to get from Georgia right now. When you, you know, win two titles in a row, it, it, look, if we switch places, it was Florida winning two titles in a row. You know, you're not going to find much to, 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 to uh, get negative about. I mean, it'd be nice if they played somebody. I mean, that'd be <laughs> right. nice if we got to actually see them like play a team that, that had equal level talent, but they, they hey, aren't going to do that this year. Th- that, that's a, that is a storyline for me. Maybe that hurts them when they get to Atlanta. Uh, I actually think the real hope for most of the SEC is that what happened in Gainesville in 2009 and 2010 is what's happening in Athens, right? I mean, we were all certain that John Brantley was going to be great, and then he wasn't. And we were all certain mm. that Urban Meyer winning and the top-tier recruiting classes were going to continue in perpetuity, and then they didn't. And I'm sure in the Swamp Kings documentary that's coming out this week – there were signs that the program wasn't healthy and that the winning and the recruiting successes made easy to ignore. And we've seen some signs this offseason in Athens and obviously some very tragic circumstances. But, you know, it reminds me more of those Gator teams maybe than it does of an Alabama. Like, you know, that sort of stuff doesn't seem to happen there in Tuscaloosa. It's interesting. I went back and I found a couple of quotes for Florida's 2010 preview. So Robbie Andrew from the Gainesville Sun goes, what may set this offense apart is the offensive line. This front has a chance to be the best in the nation and one of the best in school history. And then Chris Lowe for ESPN said, Florida coach Urban Meyer is calling this the year of accountability and development. This much is for sure. He's got some serious talent to develop. The Gators might be young and inexperienced in spots, but they're not lacking for talent. And then Sporting News Yearbook said, Brantley, a redshirt junior, has a quarterback pedigree and a prototypical arm, but only poise will get his Gators out of Knoxville or Tuscaloosa with a win in 2010. That team went went eight and five. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the, the, the idea was, and even Athlon talked about, uh, you know, that there's no shortage of athletes. He's put together top recruiting class after top, top recruiting class, that nine and four was the floor for that team because they might revert back to 2007 form because they had a bunch of young guys in there. And all of a sudden you're eight and five and the whole thing falls apart. And I think, you know, look, this stuff goes quick and you don't see it until you see it. And so, 
we've gotten used to what goes on in Tuscaloosa and that somebody comes in and just recruits, recruits, recruits and wins, wins, wins. And Saban has been able to create a culture there that I think is difficult to maintain. And, you know, we've even seen it with Clemson recently. They've taken a step back. Now, they don't have quite the same recruiting apparatus that Georgia or Alabama does, but but we've seen it at Clemson where they haven't been able to get the quarterback right. And all of a sudden you've got Yui Agalele in there and he's just not able to move the ball down the field in the same way. And even though Clemson's defense has been very good, they get picked off from time to time because mm. they don't have that quarterback who's able to move the ball down the field. So I don't think that Georgia is invincible. I think Carson Beck is going to have to prove that he can drive down the field in a game like that game against Missouri last year where Stetson Bennett was the difference. And you know, two years ago in the national championship game, Stetson Bennett was the difference. And there have and the game against Ohio State last year, I mean Stetson Bennett wasn't the difference, but you know, that was a nail biter. So they've had nail biters along the way. The question is going to be do they have players who are going to be able to pull those things out? And yes, you just replace those guys with talent guys and so you don't see some giant drop off but the idea that there's going to be no drop off I think is is probably short-sighted given what we've seen historically with college football well you, you're right and, and we have to go to the schedule just because I, I think that's part of it you know even if they had the issues that you bring up and maybe they took a step back would we notice a step back because of the schedule I mean it, it, that's not their fault they had Oklahoma scheduled this year and SEC made them blow that up because of that I mean look it that is that just happened uh, they had to replace that, of course, to the start of the season. And look, part of the reason the schedule looks so bad is because Georgia's so good. That's just, that, that's that, that's part of the combination as well. Uh, but UT Martin, and look, first four games are at home. UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina, UAB. Uh, maybe Trent Dilfer has something for him. He doesn't. But <laughs> it's a, I was gonna say, was the Citadel not around? <laughs> what, what, what's, what's going on? They they should have played like uh, you know. Holy Cross or something that might have given them a battle. Uh, but then, okay, their first Auburn and Kentucky back to back. You know, if Auburn takes a step up with Hugh Freeze, and then Kentucky lives up to you know what we just went back to and, and looked at just a second ago. I mean, there's their first test. You know, two tougher back to back games. Then at Vandy by week, of course, we got Florida, and then at Missouri. Um, the wait, it's the Missouri at home because that's no, right. Missouri they they played very close at Missouri last year. Uh, so Florida, Missouri back to back. Uh, Ole Miss after that. So Ole Miss and Tennessee back to back. That might if that that might be the trickiest part of their schedule. If you want to look at back to back games, like I said, Auburn, Kentucky, kind of tricky, but not as tricky as Ole Miss and Tennessee. If Lane Kiffin has that offense humming like we've seen it before. And recently, if Tennessee's humming kind of like they were last year, I don't know if it matters because Georgia just, you know, made that Tennessee offense last year look pedestrian. Uh, you know, but those two games back to back could offer some resistance to Georgia, but you know, very, very friendly schedule for a very, very good team. Dude, if Georgia doesn't mow through this schedule undefeated, Kirby needs to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fire fire Kirby Smart right now. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll co-sign. <laughs> all right, all right. That's uh yeah, that would that would uh that would benefit us very, very well. Um all right, let's keep it going. And hey, well, besides Kentucky, Arkansas might be one of the other the, the most trickiest teams in the SEC to kind of figure out. And let's go uh to what Athlon has to say. This is the season where you can really judge the Sam Pittman era honestly. Chad Morris was an absolute fraud as a head coach, but he did recruit Texas pretty well, at least enough for these guys to develop some of them. Now you're going to see what the roster represents under this staff specifically. Are there cultural issues? They lost coordinators, the tight end coach who was an alum, 
and the strength uh, tight end coach. Uh, I believe that's the offensive coordinator at South Carolina now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and the s- strength and conditioning coach who was really popular. Oh, uh, here we go. New offensive coordinator Dan Enos is a big swing from what Kendall Bryles had them doing. I remember when Dan Enos was at Miami and he was supposed to go all crazy on us in 2019. That didn't happen. Um, so the first question you ask is that they're going to have the personnel for it. If you're going to slow it down, do you have the bodies to mash? Pittman is a great motivator, but it's a little concerning to see him try to copy some of the Georgia stuff at Arkansas. Those are wildly different situations. This is a big year to define his run there. And we move to the Lindy side of things. I think Sam Pittman has done a phenomenal job at Arkansas. He's a special guy. He does things the right way. They should have a head. They should have uh, head coaches in high school. Watch how Sam Pittman operates. Former DC Barry Odom did a remarkable job for the talent he had. He did more with less as good as anybody in the league on either side of the ball. And now he's gone. Uh, and the new guy, Travis Williams from UCF does. Well, we'll see. It'd be interesting. He's a rah-rah guy. I don't know what they'll do on defense. KJ Jefferson, the one thing he does is compete, and he has the ability to pull a rabbit out of a hat. He's a pretty good dual-threat quarterback. I coached against him twice. It's a headache. We beat them both times, but he's a headache. So that's actually underrating KJ Jefferson, I think. He was he is by far the best returning quarterback in the SEC this season. He had quarterback ratings of 165 each of the past two years, which is way above average. So Hinn and Hooker had a QB rating of 176 last year in a special season. But KJ Jefferson's also run for 1,300 yards over the last two seasons as well. And that's while playing in the SEC West with an inferior roster. So anytime you have a player like that who can carry a team, they're dangerous, which means Florida has to show up ready to fight because that's something we've definitely seen from Sam Pittman's teams. Now, you know, look, Kendall Bryles has been the offensive coordinator there the last couple of years, and obviously bringing in Enos, is he going to be able to do the same things with KJ Jefferson but I just look at that and I go because Arkansas hasn't had like a 10 win season under Sam Pittman I think people dismiss what KJ Jefferson can do he's by far the best returning quarterback in the SEC this season well something I want to go to and just kind of looking at it you know if Lindy's is accurate here talking about KJ Jefferson and what he is he as you mentioned yeah probably the best returning quarterback in the SEC but you know how many returning starters they have besides him on offense (laughs) three Ah. Three. He he's part of four returning starters on offense. Uh, and keep going to potential problems. The large group of relatively inexperienced receivers look good in the spring, but can they gain, can they gain Jefferson's game day trust? Although the Hogs allow two hundred ninety four point seven yards per game, worse than the FBS, the secondary did not get a substantial upgrade. Will be will more experience in the new system be enough? So as I said, one of the Enigma teams uh, right here for for in the SEC for me, can, them Kentucky, as you said, I mean, and, look, and we know it. Quarterback can make up for a whole lot. So yeah, KJ Jefferson might be one of the four returning starters on offense. But hey, look, it is your quarterback and one of the best in the conference. So he might can make up for a, a good thing uh, for for things uh, on that offense. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting team to to. And look, that game is so late in the season. We'll we'll know exactly <laughs> probably what Arkansas is at that point. And we'll just kind of we'll get your thoughts about it. Any any worry about that game being the week after Georgia? I mean, Florida went on the road at Texas A and M last year and got a win the week after playing Georgia. But you know, a lot of times that's a that's a sore spot for Florida. We're putting so much emotion to that game in Jacksonville. 
Now, the only thing that concerns me about that game is that apparently I'm old because I just don't like those black uniforms. I knew you like, were going oh. that. I knew it. Yes. I knew you were going that. I just I don't like them. I don't know why, but but uh, you know because I thought I would like them, but I don't. And my nephew immediately sent me a text when it came out with a bunch of fire emojis, and I'm like, "You like those things?" He's like, "Those things are so awesome." So I'm gonna end up getting one for my nephew. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that that's that's what I'm concerned about, buddy. I, look, I, I think Arkansas is going to gonna show us who they are and who they are is going to be a middle-of-the-pack SEC West team. Now, am I concerned? I mean, I'm concerned because I think Florida might be a middle-of-the-pack SEC East team. But from the standpoint of like, am I extra worried coming off the Georgia game? Nah, I think if you get your butt kicked by Georgia, you're embarrassed and you come out and you play hard. And if you win against Georgia, hey, you, you're riding a high and you come out and you play hard. So, um, you know, I, there have been a lot of things we can criticize for playing Napier. And I think the only time you can criticize that the guys came out and didn't play hard was the bowl game against Oregon State. And even then, I think they played hard. They were just overmatched because some of the guys who were sitting out. So, so, um, you know, I expect them to be able to get up for that game, even even though it's right after the cocktail party. Yeah, all right. Let's keep it going. A few more teams to get through right here. Let's go to the Bayou Bengals of LSU on Athlon. The quieter things are, the better for Brian Kelly. LSU was trending up in every category, and he did really well for his first year in the league. This is a really smart, really talented coaching staff, and the head coach should get more credit for assembling the staff. Getting Jaden Daniels back will let them open up the book a lot more. They were really tight to start the season last year because the offensive line was a fresh mess. Now they've been in the fire, so you expect them to have more confidence. They have the best defensive player in the conference in Harold Perkins Jr., if not the entire sport. Oh, that one still hurts. Uh, so that helps. There's a problem area. It was definitely special teams. Look at FSU in the Georgia games. They ended up a lot on opposing teams. Teach tape for what not to do. The title game showed that they're not a 1A roster in this league, but this is the year where they can convince top talent they're consistent and serious. And we go to Lindy's. What Brian Kelly did last year to me was miraculous. It also shows you, uh, shows you what can happen in the transfer portal. It's a different age in college football. No more so-called rebuilds in college football. You can flip it in one year. What used to take five years, you can do in one year. Jaden Daniels returning. I would say he's absolutely. I would say he absolutely gives them a chance to repeat. That position is the most important on the field. If you got a quarterback, you got a chance. But LSU is not near what LSU used to be talent-wise. What they did last year shows how far the SEC West has fallen. Kelly proved himself last year with the game management in the SEC when he beat Alabama. Well, it's kind of contradictory to me a little bit. They give him so much praise and then say, well, the reason he did it was because the West was down. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, credit to him for, for, for turning around in year one. Major surprise. Uh, unfortunately, it was a Florida game last year where it kind of just seemed everything clicked for LSU, and they were kind of on a roll uh, since that Florida game. Jaden Daniels kind of coming out party, uh, converting third down after third down uh, on that defense in the swamp last year. Uh, but interesting, you know, I, I, my biggest question for LSU is, does Jaden Daniels have another – does he have another step in him? I mean, big improvement from his Arizona State days to coming to LSU. Tougher conference, tougher defenses, but he was one guy who – took advantage of the talent around him right there at LSU to take a big step up last year. 
Yeah, so first off, Florida's defense did a lot to make quarterbacks feel comfortable last year. So, um, you know, giving Jaden Daniels confidence is maybe one of the things that we could <laughs> we could we could uh, you know credit to that Florida defense. I, look, LSU lost to an FSU team that I think was decent but not great. They also got completely run over. I mean, literally, a chain had thirty eight rushes for two hundred fifteen yards by a bad A and M team. So, are we impressed by the thirteen to ten win over Arkansas that was like three quarters of the way through the season? The twenty one to 17 went over Auburn. They got blown out by Tennessee and Georgia, which means we're giving them a lot of mileage for beating Alabama. And in that game, they were outgained by 100 yards, and Bryce Young played like crap and had a red zone interception. So, look, Kelly did a good job in his first year, but I think he has this team as an upper echelon SEC team. I mean, some people are picking them to win the West, and some yeah. people are picking them to win the SEC. I think that's a bridge too far. In fact, I think that's way too far. And I, I think, um, it, you know, we sit there and we look and people go, oh, well, Brian Kelly and Billy Napier coming at the same time. And look, Kelly goes 10 and 4 and Napier goes 6 and 7. That must say something about Kelly. Maybe it does. But you also got to realize that that LSU went 10 and 3 in 2018 and then won the national championship and went 15 and 0 in 2019. They're, they're much closer to major significant success than Florida mm -hmm. is. And so those rebuilds are completely different. So I, I just look at it. I think, I think they took a really nice step forward next year. I think to expect them to do anything more than nine and nine and four, 10 and three is probably expecting too much. I think they're going to be a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I, and I don't think they showed they were a great team last year. I think they showed they have great players at times. Perkins, like you mentioned is somebody who every time I would just watch him play, I'm like, Oh, I can't believe he's not a Gator, but other than that, I look at it and I go, there's nothing on LSU's team that's any better than what's on Florida's team or a whole host of SEC teams. And so they're going to be in dogfights every week, and I expect they're going to come out on the short end a few times this year. I'm thinking they're probably 8-5, and 9-4. and four. I, I'd be very surprised if they go 10-3 and three or better this year. Ooh, I'm a little higher on them than that. I'm, uh, that I would have had no issue anybody picking LSU to win the West. Uh, I said that back at SC Media Days and all. I have, I have no issue there. So, hey, everybody, there you go. there's one team we we are very different on. Uh, so uh, we haven't really kind of compared what we thought about teams there, but that's kind of where it's first time it's kind of come up naturally. Uh, I'm a little higher on LSU there. But with potential problems here, Lindy's LSU is still looking for an explosive running back to emerge. Um this is interesting because you know, just run a counter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, LSU, and we know it because we play them every year, but this are, these are trends that it is weird to see. LSU still looking for an explosive running back to emerge. There were years and years where they had good running backs. Also, long known for prowess in the secondary, the Tigers are thinner there than usual. They struggled there last year. They hit the transfer portal hard. Uh, and they're still don't, going through fall camp from everything I can gather. They still don't have great confidence in the transfers they brought in on, on the back end of that defense. So still a big question mark there. And, of course, they brought up special teams need to be improving uh, as well. So. so this is something I think we really need to be watching this year. I, I Nick Knudsen in our preseason magazine went back and looked at every guy who – has either transferred out of or transferred into Florida over like the past six or seven years. And there are a few hits and he sort of ranked them like five star, four star, three star mm. performance. There are a couple of hits, but the, the message is, is that the portal is not a place to go to build your roster. It's a place for when you need like one hole that needs to be papered over. And I, I think that's actually something that's going to be a story over for college football over the next three or four years is has that fundamentally changed or is that still the case? And I I'm leaning more towards it's probably still the case. And um, what that means is that coaches who build through that portal 
are going to be sort of giving their giving their fan base fool's gold. I think they'll paper over the holes enough to where they don't see a giant drop off, but I'm not sure they'll paper them over enough to be able to really win big. And, and so I'm, I'm really curious to see because Brian Kelly has certainly used the transfer portal in a way that some other coaches have not, including Billy Napier. And so I'm curious to see how that works. And, you know, three or four years from now, we may be talking about the youth movement at Florida that's built into a team that's now a powerhouse. And look at what LSU is doing. They're still rating the transfer portal to try to bring people in. I think the secondary that you mentioned is sort of the thing that makes me think about that there specifically. Yeah. So interesting team. So there's one set of Tigers, and we'll go to another set of Tigers. These in Columbia, Missouri. Athlon side of things for the Missouri Tigers. Can they be as good defensively as they were last year? Because they really need that to carry them this season. They have the most of the have most of those major pieces coming back, so they're going to lean on that side to keep them in games, which is what happened last year. And they lose enough on that line where they're going to take some bumps early. Look at the Georgia game last season and how they hung in. That was all the defense. Eli Drinkwitz has a five-star kid from St. Louis, Luther Burden III, and nothing close to that caliber around him on offense. They've got to identify playmakers and get it going if the staff is going to make it. They don't seem to have a conference-caliber quarterback. Betting on Jake Garcia to figure it out after that run at Miami is risky. They fell into an above-average defense and have never put it all together on offense under Eli. This is the year where they could really be exposed. They're on in, uh, from Athlon. That was their thoughts. Let's go to Lindy's. Missouri's program is hot and cold. One week they're ice cream, and the next week they're milk. They're just up and down. They've never really, in the last de- decade, done what they did under Gary Pinkle, and that's when the East Division in back-to-back years in 07 and 08. Under Pinkle, they were solid on, uh, let's see, in 07 and 08, they weren't even in the SEC, so that, somebody messed up there. They uh, certainly didn't win it in 08. <laughs> no, no, no. no. They, they, uh, after they joined the SEC, of course. What was that, 13 and 14? Yeah, those were right, yeah, were they right, right before, before Florida. Yeah, yeah. 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 So all right, we, we caught a little error there in the Lindy's magazine. Uh, funny how we can come up with that in our heads too, Will, right, 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 when, we, right when we hear that. Uh, under Pinkle, they were solid on offense, pretty strong on defense. Their defense in the SEC is a really good one week, uh, uh, really good one week, really bad the next week. With that style, up tempo offense, that's not a good thing. Quarterback Brady Cook is talented and he can beat you. He doesn't have much of a supporting cast. They gave Eli a contract extension, so they must believe in him. He's an offensive guy, so they should score points. But I don't think he's a great recruiter. I don't know that Eli can do what Pinkle did. So we're going into opposing coaches' thoughts on Missouri. They don't seem to think too high of this team out of Columbia. So first off, I checked. It's 12-2 and two in 2013, 11-3 and three in 2014. 14, yeah. Those are the years where they made it to the SEC championship game and then got absolutely slaughtered by much, much better teams. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you were talking about LSU getting a lot of credit, but also the SEC West was down last year. I think you can do the same thing for Missouri back in those Gary Pinkle days. But, yeah. I mean, look, I'm not a fan of Drinkwitz for a bunch of different reasons, but the biggest is he hasn't made Missouri any better. So, you know, mm-hmm. you look historically, he took over, took over an Appalachian State team. They'd gone 47 and 16 under Scott Satterfield, who then left to go to 
Louisville um, and went 12 and one. So he said, Hey, there's some hope here that he can do something. Then he took over a Missouri team. They're 25 and 25 under Barry Odom. They've gone 17 and 19. So what's his signature win? Is it, uh, is it the one where he's popping the diet Coke after he beat Mullen um, the year after <laughs> yeah. Mullen dressed up like Darth Vader? <laughs> he, got um, Mullen fired. he got Mullen fired. That game. <laughs> you know, is it, is it, and who's his breakout star? Like Luther Burden was pretty good last year, obviously a true freshman, but he's going to have to be a real breakout star. And really the thing is, if you're relying on one or two five stars to raise the entire ship, you're going to be disappointed. And that's what that's what you see with this roster. It's really just devoid of talent. Brady Cook isn't going to be the winning answer at quarterback. Neither is Garcia. Um, so they're going to get below average quarterback play. I don't think their defense is really as good as it showed last year. Um, so I just look at it and say, Drinkwitz hasn't made them any better. They're a 500 team. I would be shocked if they did anything other than five and seven, six and six this year. Well, I don't know if you realize this, but or much Gator Nation may realize this, but Tyron Hopper is still on that defense after transferring there last year. So the leader of what people think are are pretty good defense uh, from Missouri, but yeah, your question is that quarterback that I think still, uh, or how much can they elevate uh, and get better? Uh, I know they're, they're they're kind of picked to be a sneaky team this year. You go around SC Media Days, and that was one team that was. Uh, being picked to be kind of sneaky this year, but uh, opposing coaches, I don't, they don't really see it here. So uh, maybe the coaches are right here on Missouri uh, in a close, hard-fought game last year uh, for Billy Napier and the Gators getting that win over Missouri in the swamp. But, uh, Will, that is a late-season trip after LSU and in between Florida State. So it's so. going to be the 11 a.m. start, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, in the season – at LSU, at Missouri, and hosting bigger, bitter rival Florida State. And let's go to the opposing coach's thoughts there, Athlon. One more time, this program is really, really talented. As a roster, they might be at their best since Jimbo Fisher's title. You always get asked. (laughs) Uh, I I listen to Josh Pate a good bit, and he's a big blue-chip ratio guy. They're not anywhere close to a blue-chip ratio national title team. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, they, they, I mean, as far as since Jimbo going through Willie Taggart going here, yeah, I mean, they, they probably are. Taggart uh, had some really talented teams that he just drove into the ground. Well, yeah, that, I mean, the yeah, first couple of years were terrible. But, uh, ooh, I mean, yeah. they were no good, but that wasn't because they didn't have talented players. <laughs> very, very true. Very true. Uh, you always get asked, right, sorry, are they three. back? No, yeah, no, you're good. Uh, you always get asked, are they back? Yeah, they might be. They're not one of those top six or so teams nationally, but they can win this league. That would be a huge step for them. They've upgraded at every position at the ones and twos compared to when Mike Norvell got there. There's a pro mentality at that place. You have to take an NFL approach to balancing discipline with motivation. He's put the right kind of discipline back in the program, and schematically, there's sound on both sides. They've inched that along as they've been able to get the talent in place. This could be a breakout season if they're as improved as we think on both lines. This could be the first year in forever where FSU just looks like they have FSU quality O-line. You get the idea. The clouds have parted on all the recruiting problems. Uh, That's from Athlon. Let's go to Lindy's one more time. Some of us remember the FSU good old days. Getting nostalgic. It's hard to imagine that the Seminoles went five seasons without seeing double-digit victories. Shouldn't be that hard in the ACC. They pegged the right man for the job and Mike Norvell to get the program right. With the ACC wide open, it wouldn't be surprising to see quarterback Jordan Travis in the Heisman race. 
He doesn't make many mistakes. He has a hot shot, big play, wide out to play pitch and catch with, too, and Johnny Wilson. There were a lot of folks shocked to see Jared Verse return for another year. Me, too. I figured him to be a first-round bound player. If he suffers an injury, he will have cost himself millions of dollars. If FSU can beat LSU and ace the test against Clemson, why wouldn't they just run the table? Because Ooh. they're worse than LSU and Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think they're on par talent-wise maybe with Florida and Miami. Um, their offensive line was bad last season, or at, le- at least it was feast or famine. So they they wound up ranked, I think it was 70th overall in in tackles for loss allowed which you know it really showed up in the Florida game actually where Florida was getting in the backfield a lot in that game mm-hmm. they played a ton of close games last year so they had six one score games they went four and two Jordan Travis covered up a lot of the mistakes both for the offensive line and when it got close but look Florida fans should be familiar with this we saw Jim McElwain and Dan Mullen do well in their first two seasons in one score games they, McElwain went seven and one Mullen went six and one and then the bottom fell out for both of those guys I'm, I'm not saying it's going to happen here but Florida State didn't go 10 and 3 by blowing everybody out right they were on a razor's edge of being a mediocre 8 and 5 or 7 and 6 football team and that's why they only beat Florida by a touchdown with Travis going nuts right and so this year the game barely beat Oklahoma in the bowl game too and that was a bad Oklahoma team Right. So this year, the game's in Tallahassee, or, or the game is, you know, you'd expect Florida's defense to have much more of a clue by the time the 12th game comes around. The game isn't in Tallahassee. And I've got an article actually coming out on this. I've been doing this toss up series in Florida State. I've got it as a toss up because when they played an opponent who had an FPI last year that was better than 39th, <laughs> it was a one score game. If it was worse than 39th, it was either a loss. Actually, so they lost to Wake Forest, who was who was uh, um, who was ranked 32nd, and then everybody else was 47th or worse that 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 they beat in non one score games. Right, so they they won four of their one score games. So in those games where the talent and sort of the the ability and and the team quality was close to Florida State's. They, they played close games, but I think that's what you're going to see again this year is you're going to see a lot of close games. And the other thing is that if their offensive line struggles at all and Jordan Travis gets injured or Jordan Travis sprains an ankle or gets hindered at all, that takes a huge part of what he does away. And this is always the concern that you have with a running quarterback and, and who's behind him, I think, is one of the things you got to be you got to really be looking at and saying, look, you're going to need to get a game or two probably out of the backup quarterback this year. And is Florida State going to be able to do that? So I think Florida State's going to be a good team this year. I don't think they're going to be a great one. It's almost identical to what I said to LSU, which is interesting which is interesting because they play each other to start the year and they have that 24 to 23 barn burner with the LSU player just dying when the field goal didn't go through, when the extra point didn't go through. Um, you know, I think that's where they're at. And I think, you know, you're high on LSU. So maybe you're a little bit higher on Florida state than I am. Um, I'm, I'm they're an average team and, you know, average in college football is like eight and four. And, you know, do they do a little, do they get a little bit lucky and go nine and three? Do they get a little bit unlucky and go seven and five? Um, I think that's sort of where you're sitting. I, I would be shocked if they end up in the top 10 by the end of the year. I think they're 10, two, nine and three. Um, do they lose to Clemson, LSU, Florida? And that's where I kind of hope it goes. If, 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 they, if, if they go nine and three, I hope that's the, the, the way it happens. Uh, I, I don't see them any worse than nine and three. Uh, I do think, I, I do agree with you. I don't think they were quite as good as what they seemed to be last year as far as that record goes, too many close games and all that. But I do think the way they rated the transfer portal, 
they are not the same team they were last year. Uh, so I do think playing in the ACC, I think that separates them a little bit in those close games. And I still think, but I do, I still think they're behind Clemson. I, I don't see them uh, on that Clemson level yet, just because of high school recruiting. They're going. They're an interesting case study, Will, because of how much they've hit the portal the last couple of years, how much they're relying on the portal, and that's why they're not quite the same team as last year. Well, and again, though, I, I still think that Jordan Travis was covering up a lot of holes last year. Yeah. So even if, even if you think that he's no longer going to have to cover up those holes, well, you know, you, you still, especially on the offensive line, you still need to bring some level of continuity there. We always talk about that's a continuity position. That's one of the things that worries me about Florida this year is that there's no continuity on the offensive line outside of Aguacan and, and Barber. And so they're sort of dealing with the same thing. And and so are they going to struggle? No, maybe by the time they get to the Florida game, they figured all that stuff out, right? Yeah. Which if Florida had gotten them in the first game last year, it probably would have been a much different story. But yeah. I still go back to that was not a good Florida team last year. That was not a good mm-hmm. Oklahoma team last year. And both of those teams essentially were equivalent to what Florida State was. It really wasn't even that great of a Clemson team either, especially yeah, right, when you think right. about Yui Agalele being there at quarterback and how he struggled. So, um, I mean, their best it, win was LSU to start the season. And if they play that game at any other point in the season, I'm picking LSU to win that game. Don't get me wrong; I can't take that win away from them. Uh, you know, much like Florida and Utah, <laughs> I can't take the win away from them. If they play that at any point in the regular in the other part of the season, Utah probably beat Florida. Uh, but you know, that's that's how it goes. So, well, um, it's, it's funny. So, when the top 25 came out this year, the AP poll, um, I, I saw in a tweet, and I didn't go back to verify, but somebody said, and it was somebody that I respect, said that um, you know, don't worry too much because only 10 of the teams that were in the top 25 finished in the top 25 last year. And the reason is, is because, um, especially at sort of this level of recruiting and this level of program, there's a lot of variation. And we see that every year in the SEC, that the teams that recruit third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh in the conference sometimes go up, sometimes go down. And it all depends on who they've got and who plays and who plays well. And and look, I still think Florida State is going to need a extremely good performance from Jordan Travis all year long to replicate what they did last year. I'm doubtful that that happens, but hey, if he does, I'll tip my cap to him and hopefully we still get him in Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, I, I just think they're better than the teams they're supposed to be better than, like, you know, kind of a traditionally better than. Like, open up with LSU, so like I said, one of, I think, could be where their losses. Southern Miss a win. Boston College, I think, is a win. I think they lose to Clemson, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, Wake Forest, Pitt, Miami, North Alabama, and then Florida. Like I just, they play in the ACC. I think they take advantage of it. I do think they beat the teams they're supposed to. So, so here's what I'll tell you is that the film last year, Wake Forest played Jordan Travis in a very specific way. That they dared Florida State. Up, yeah. They dared Florida State to run the ball, and they played zone behind it, and Travis was awful. And I got so upset at Florida during the Florida State game because they were blitzing with single high safety the entire friggin' game. And every time they they almost got home a bunch of times to Travis. And then look, the secondary is nowhere to be found as he runs around the edge. Wake Forest just said, we're going to make you go 12, 13, 14 plays down the field in order to beat us. And he couldn't do it. And Wake Forest ends up winning by 10 points in a game that really wasn't even that close. Now, it was a little bit earlier in the season. And yes, Florida State got better, but I think that's the one you actually want to look at because I think Wake Forest had the formula on how to beat Jordan Travis. They 
figured out how to make him struggle because when you make him fit into the tight windows, he's not a guy with a cannon arm. He has to make good decisions. If you can close those windows, then all of a sudden you're making him make quick decisions. And look, if you can get home with four, then that makes a difference. And Florida wasn't getting home with seven last year, so I'm not sure that they, mm-hmm. they had the option of playing that kind of zone. But there is a formula to make Jordan Travis struggle. At least there was last year. and Maybe he's yeah. gotten better this year, but there was last year. So that Wake Forest game is if you're if you're a Gator fan and that game's on at you know noon or 3.30 and Florida's on at night, that's what I'd flip on and just see how's Wake Forest playing. Because they had consistently five defensive backs 10 yards deep <laughs> for like the entire freaking game, just daring him, throw it in front of the sticks. We're going to close these windows. You know, you're, you're not going to get us to give up big plays. And every time they shifted into anything that resembled any sort of single high safety, Travis picked them apart. And you could see that consistently. Miami did that too. Miami decided to play a bunch of man to man and, and Travis just picked them apart and absolutely obliterated them. And I think, I think there are, there are some holes there and I'm interested to see whether Wake Forest goes back to that well this year and whether Jordan Travis has figured out how to, how to solve that riddle. Yeah, and Garrett Verse is so good, uh, by the way. They, ended up, they pointed out that you know they did struggle. Uh, when he was injured last year, missed some games. That's the, a lot of the games they struggled in as well. So uh, him staying healthy is very, very big uh, for, for, for that defense. There's not a lot of experience. Uh, they got some good linebackers at that start, but not much behind those guys either. Uh, so if they get if, if they get the injury bug on defense, I do, I, I do that could that could really change some things. Yeah, the other fun one is they're playing Southern Miss in the second game, and obviously, uh, you know, that, that's that's Austin Armstrong's old stomping ground. Yeah. So I, you know, I haven't spent any time to figure out whether they've actually changed schemes since yeah. Armstrong left, but we'll have to go and look at that because it'd be interesting if they're keeping Armstrong's scheme when uh, they're at Southern Miss. Then uh, how does Florida State do once that comes in? Because that will be the uh, that'll be a lesson in aggression, and Wake Forest will be a lesson in passivity, and we'll sort of see which one which one plays better when when they play Florida State. Yeah, they did have one uh, SEC transfer, Jaheim Bell, tied in at South Carolina, transferred to uh, Florida State as well. So uh, a name some of us are familiar with now is in Tallahassee instead of Columbia. So uh, we'll see where he's at uh, late in the season when Seminoles come to Gainesville for the game. But, well, man, yeah, we, Timely Manor. We got all 10 major opponents for Florida in here in, in just over an hour. So, hey, that was, that was a lot of fun. I think uh, we gave a, a little good primer, uh, I think, for Florida's opponents and, hey, uh, like I said, Vanderbilt this week, Utah, uh, you get to watch Vanderbilt this week, but then Florida, Utah next week. So a little good preview right here. Oh man, it's coming up. I can't wait. Like it's time to yep. get going. Yeah, I know. I, I'm so ready for it. So ready for it. I, I will, I will be watching Vanderbilt in Hawaii. I will. So, uh, Sorry, sorry, wifey. It, it starts this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anything else? Uh, any? You, uh, who would be the next opponent? Are you? coming up with on rig reaction are you doing oh, so so i gotta toss up i gotta yeah. toss up where i'm going into florida state um, okay. in a little bit more detail you can look at some of those offensive line stats that i have from last year that's gonna be going up there tonight and then the other thing is is that we just released another 10 pages sort of as a supplementary mm-hmm. to the preseason magazine and so if you go over there to readingreaction.com slash mag that's slash mag you can pick up a digital copy of the preseason magazine and then that additional 10 pages will come with it as well if you already ordered one you should already have it in your email box so check your junk mail 
mail for some reason it hasn't come through uh but we just had a little bit of fun we, we spent a little bit of time looking at the uh film did a film breakdown of armstrong's defense when he was there at southern miss and looked at freshman wide receivers and how often those guys have panned out over the last five or six years given sort of where mizell and gene and uh, and wilson's recruiting rankings are how often do those guys pan out and what does pan out really mean because for true freshman wide receivers you know it, it really isn't it's not going to be 80 receptions so what should our expectations be heading into the season all right there we go readmeaction.com there for will and chris really points out as well yeah notre dame and navy this saturday i believe that game is in ireland uh, to kick the game to kick the season off so um and also funny um usc the number six team in the country is kicking off this weekend as well you can find that or not find that on the pac-12 network so uh (laughs) (laughs) the pac-4 network is uh (laughs) raking in the dollars over there (laughs) All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I hope you guys enjoyed it, giving you a preview right here of the major opponents for the Gators this year. Ten of them right here on this episode. So for Will Miles, his site, readreaction.com. I am David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. Find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.